This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Today's pod is cool. I'm sitting down with Rydell, and he is an inventor, an engineer, a normal dude who literally started a side hustle, and it's taking over to where I guarantee he's quitting his job within the next six months. He makes Asiac, which I'd never heard of. I got a surprise care package from him, put it on the shelf, didn't look at it for months, busted it out, and he's got four or five SKUs, and I'm using all of them this year. He is brilliant, and he's very humble, and he's going to talk about how he got things up and running, uh, where he's going with the company, and you're going to learn about these SKUs, and you might be getting them too. I'm trying to carry some of it on my website because I just really believe in his brand. That look out, Asiac is coming for you. We're sitting down with the man himself. Here we go. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests, subject matter experts, so that you can tune in, get what you need to get, and continue on your journey. We are blessed to call ourselves Elk Hunters, Season 6. Here we go. Well, I just packed my pack for antelope, and your tripod's in my pack. Sweet, man. That's awesome. That's good to hear. And that's why I wanted to get you on today, dude. Honestly, it was like... Who is this guy? And then I was talking to my buddy Trail. He works for Go Hunt. Yeah. He knew all about you. And he said, yeah, we had him on our podcast. And I was like, damn it. I haven't talked about the tripod on any podcast. So did Black Ovis buy from you yet? Yep. Black Ovis just picked stuff up like three weeks ago. Okay. Well, that's where I'm going to send people because I do have a code. It's Elk Shape takes 10% off free shipping. And they I've been to their warehouse. Yeah. It's insane. That's so cool, man. Like, good for you. So that's what I, I want to know how you got into this world of making gear. And I, I, I see, I see big things coming your way, man. That's my crystal ball. And I'm not trying to like pump you up. I'm serious. Like, are you an engineer? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Nerd. I saw your YouTube video, dude. I'm a nerd. I'll take that. <laughs> okay. Okay. We have another video we filmed uh, a week or two ago for our smaller channel called Elk Shape Gear. And we do a tripod shootout. Cool. Dan works, I work with Vortex, right? Vortex wants Dan to use Vortex tripods. 
And I understand that. Um, and that might even be contractual. And I do use their tripods. But I'm using yours to pair with this new spotter that... Um, you know, I can probably talk about it. I, don't I already know about it. Vortex is coming well, yeah. out with a new 60. Yeah. They've needed it's that a, for like, what, 20 years? It's a 56, but it's, uh, it is so small. And yet it is almost as good as my 65 monstrosity angled. Yeah. And it takes up half the room. And I'm like, I literally, I think on the YouTube video, I weighed my old setup with a carbon vortex tripod and the 65 and my mag view on top. Yeah. I'm cutting like three pounds. Yeah. Not, not ounces folks. It's crazy. And, uh, what, what's this Swiss thing called that tripod mount? Arca Swiss. Arca Swiss. The fact that the, the, the new vortex attachment doesn't, you don't have to actually use an attachment. It's got the Arca Swiss and it can slide right into your, uh, ball head. I'm like a happy kid. I'm a fat kid with cake, man. Swiss, I don't know why it didn't take off like 20 years ago, even more than, I mean, it's been around forever, but I don't know why it hasn't been like 100% only industry standard. Everybody does it. Cause as soon as vortex started cutting that dovetail into their spotting scope bases, Everybody should do that. There's no reason not to. It's so beautiful. So guys, you don't need a plate. And that's just like, I have 57 different plates at my house from owning 57 different tripods. Yep. Yep. It's a, it's a circus, man. So that that's a cool design. We're going to get into that. I got to slow my slow down. I need to know about you. Where do you live? Yeah. So right now, uh, based in Washington, um, kind of how I got here was born and raised up in Alaska, grew up moose hunting running around in the mountains, running around in the swamps. Um, I knew you, you told me you're going to Alaska in like a week or a couple of days. And I'm like, he's got to have next to Ken. Do you have next to Ken up there? Yeah. My dad's my number one hunting partner. So jealous of you. I don't hate you, but I'm very jealous of you. I'm very, very blessed to be able to uh, still get a hunt with my dad up there. And one day I'll end up up there again, but for now, yeah, hunting with him. So, so what part of Washington are you in? Out Kitsap Peninsula, Bremerton area. Okay. It's beautiful there. It rains a lot, but it's beautiful. Yep. Yep. It's um, nice. Get exploring the Olympic mountains quite a bit. Yeah. You're a coastie. I'm over on the east side of the state. So I call y'all coasties. And I do mean that in a derogatory way. So if you're offended. Hey man, I'm, uh, I'm working on getting my way out of the West coast over here as quick as I can. So that's something in the future. We'll be making a move. So have you smoked a Rosie yet? No, sir. <laughs> Not for a lack of trying. Uh, negative. Not for lack of trying. Don't plan to. Yeah. Okay. Uh, people ask me all the time about that because they're like, oh, you live in Washington. Do you, why don't you hunt rosies? And uh, my answer is, I'm not interested. I, I don't know why, but I just, it doesn't, um, I'm not trying to work on the slam and all the species. And I've already hunted North Idaho for 20 years. I, I don't want to go hunt the jungles of Western Washington. That's the big thing for me. I'm not a big, I don't know. I'm a spot and stock hunter. That's what I love doing. I've never been a good caller. I've never been good at anything else. I'm good at glassing, finding stuff and trying to put stocks on them. I'm not great at it, but it's what I enjoy. And so I really love being in the Alpine. So the stuff I've really done out here is getting in the Alpine and doing bear hunts. I've really enjoyed doing some of the high buck hunts, things like that. And then otherwise flying up to Alaska for at least a hunt a year ever since I've been here. So, so are you, did you go to school in Washington? Is that kind of how you got there? Yeah. Born and raised in Alaska. I lived there till I was 18. Then I went down to uh, Bozeman, Montana, went to MSU there. Uh, got my mechanical engineering degree, met my wife, we got married, and then I took a job out here with the Navy out, uh, out in Bremerton. Okay. So you're in the service, not in the service. I'm a civil service. So I'm, uh, work directly for the DOD as an employee, but I'm not active duty in any way. Oh, that's even better. Uh, when's your contract up? No contract. I can, uh, do whatever I want. <laughs> okay. Reinbolt. How do you say your last name? Yeah. Rydell Reinbold. Bold. Bold. All right. Um, so that's you're married. How long you been married? Married seven years. No children. One kid and another on the way. Congrats, man. Okay, tell me about your kids. Yeah, so I got a little one and a half year old, almost two, named Rowan. Just wants to be like his dad in every way, plays outside seven hours a day. Just a kick in the pants, love him. And second second kid obviously still in the womb, sixteen weeks old, inbound in January. <laughs> Way to plan that proper, by the way. Yep. 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 Not during hunting season, man. Come on, dude. So if you grew up in Alaska, like it's just in your blood, like you like the outdoors, you like hunting and fishing. What part of Alaska? 
Definitely hunting more than fishing. Um, so I grew up in Eagle River. It's uh, about 20, 30 minutes out of Anchorage area. So right there in South Central, big city stuff. But okay. uh, yeah, I mean, my my uh, both my grandparents came to Alaska before statehood with the Air Force on both sides. So my grandpas have been there since, what, 50, early 50s. Statehood was 59. So they both had bush planes, flew all over the state. One of them built like four or five different hunting shacks. And so that was just like in the family blood was exploring Alaska. Dude, it's in your pedigree. Uh, do you tell me what you haven't killed in Alaska yet? How about that? Most, most stuff, actually. Um, I haven't ever been like a go and check boxes type of guy. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to experience every hunt that's up there. Um, haven't done a muskox. Haven't done a bison. Those are both hard to draw. Muskox, I could probably draw if I wanted. It's just not super of interest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, bison, I haven't drawn. Haven't done elk up there. Uh, haven't gotten a Sitka blacktail. I uh, personally have not shot a caribou. I've been on a couple hunts with caribou. Personally haven't shot a grizzly, but been on hunts for those. I've killed a moose, killed a sheep. Um, haven't gotten a goat. Would like to this year. Hopefully got 10 days to do that. Where are you going for goats? Uh, Kenai Peninsula. So down yeah. south southeast of Anchorage, but not in the panhandle. But Is that a draw for you guys or is that over the counter? Yep. So I got a draw. There are some over the counters that you can do that are like registration type hunts where you can go to Kodiak. Um, but I'm still a non-resident, of course. So it's the same rules as any other non-resident. Yep, exactly. That's a beautiful little area right there, man. So are you, did you guys charter, did you charter a boat? So we were going to charter a boat and it was going to cost the same as a 15 minute flight into where we want to go. So just taking a flight. Dude, you don't have to get seasick. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> um, the It's cool how the mountains just shoot straight out of the ocean in that little country right there. And you can just, like, I remember I was in Alaska, um, last spring black bear hunting and i probably saw i saw more mountain goats than i did black bears and i saw a lot of black bears depending on where you are you can see a lot of goats right from a boat it's pretty crazy so we're planning on i mean it's nobody really thinks about it when you get up there everybody's thinking you know idaho montana washington you can knock out two three miles an hour maybe maybe two miles an hour in rough country dude up there we plan on like half a mile an hour at best at best to get up to elevation to where we can even do anything. So it's, you basically plan a whole day to get up to the Alpine and then we're going to be backpacking in the Alpine the whole time is the plan. Yeah. So you'll, you'll live out of a backpack. How, how heavy will your pack be on your initial ascent? Yeah. So I was just planning this all out. So I've got the shared rifle and everything. And my dad has the shared optics. I'm sitting at like 62 pounds for 10 with 10 days of food, but that's 20 pounds of food. I mean, I'm a pretty big guy. I like to take two pounds of food a day. Um, so I'm like, 40 what 42 pounds base weight that's with everything i'm wearing that's from you know socks pants everything up uh, that's my weight so okay uh what boots are you gonna run i got the loa tibet uh gtx highs that's kind of just been my go-to alaska boot for years uh what reindeer what pack and i might do more questions i'm sorry i'm just interested no this is awesome pack i've got the xok4 5500 pretty excited about that one this year um i switched up from a kuyu last year super lightweight but it just didn't carry loads quite as quite as good as i like still a great pack i got nothing wrong to say about that and then you said rain gear i'm running like a three or four year old set of sitka dew points i've just taken really good care of those they've been only for backpack hunts i don't wear them for anything else because i don't know gore-tex wears out as everybody knows I'm actually mm-hmm. a pretty big fan of rubberized rain gear in Alaska, but going a little bit, a little bit lighter and doing the sick of dew points this year. I used to, when I hunt North Idaho and it used to rain a lot during archery, I switched to Helly Hansen rubberized rain gear. And I literally like, you'd get so wet just going into the trails just to get to the elk and the brush stays wet for at least three days after a good rain. Um, I always felt sorry for anyone who didn't figure that out because like, if you tried to even wear rain gear, you, the water will somehow get in under your gaiters. There, there's just with with Gore-Tex. I mean, God bless whoever invented Gore-Tex. It's pretty awesome for what it is. I just personally will not use it for brush busting, wet stuff, or sitting in the rain for days on end. It it just wets out. Just is what it is. No, that's great. And then the fact that you and your dad are sharing, you know, load for the rifle and the optics that makes sense. Um, what kind of are you going regular tens? Or what kind of binoculars? Uh, binoculars. I'm running some Zeiss Conquest this year with that bino clamp that I make, of course, on them. And then I run marsupial harness. And, um, taking a Koa spotting scope, Koa 883. Okay. You guys are pretty gangster. I think that's plenty of time is the goal to pack out two goats. That's the plan, man. We'll see. We both got a tag. So uh, not that's not a one tripper, though. There's no way. So we'll do Hell two no. trips per goat. Yeah. Especially in that country. Yeah. yeah. I want to I hunt next year. So I don't want to pack out a goat in one trip. 
Plus, those bastards like to jump off stuff when you hit them. I know the one I killed with a bow in Utah many years ago. Man, I made a good shot. He went down, like, within eyesight of the shot on the edge of a really steep rock slide. Mm -hmm. And I just was like, all right. I just held my ground and just sat there and glassed him and glassed him and glassed him. And finally, he put his head down. I was like, okay, let's go. And my nephew was with me filming it. And he was young, man. And... It was cool experience, but we, as soon as we got up to the goat, it's like he came back alive for a second and his legs and nothing was working, but he just moved his legs and his arms real quick and got enough momentum. And then he went all the way down to the bottom, slid all the way down to the bottom of the rock slide, added an extra hour to my pack out. Those things are their will to live or their will for suicide. It's kind of, it's kind of debatable, right? One of the two, man. I mean, I've never experienced it firsthand, never even been on a goat hunt myself. So I'm. I'm ready to learn, but from everything I've heard, it's one of the hardest animals to kill. Cause I mean, I've, I've shot a few moose myself and for such a big animal, it's like really not that hard to kill, but I've heard goats can just absorb bullets and like to jump off cliffs. Oh man. Yeah. And, and honestly, not to scare you, but, uh, I think, you know, this going into it, mountain goat hunting is probably the most dangerous hunting out there, period, which people don't give it enough credit. Yep. And it's. There's a reason we're planning 10 days because, I mean, you can see goats from the water a lot, but, you know, there's no risk worth it to get an animal. So we're taking our time. We're not going into the nasties, planning to kind of pattern out some animals, take our time. Because I, I really, I'm there for the meat just as much as the experience, you know, to go take a goat. I don't want to have a goat go drop a thousand feet, you know, through a bunch of rock slides and cliffs. So trying to plan it out and get it as good as possible. Yeah, my buddy Jason, he's over there on your side of the state. Phelps owns Phelps Game Calls. He drew that. He drew a Washington Mountain Goat a couple years ago. Good for him. And he shot it with a rifle, and it jumped off a cliff, broke stuff, and then he had to. I don't know if he hired or subbed out, but rope rescue, like the next the next day, just to recover the animal. Yeah. So we're doing everything we can to shoot a goat when it's not in a cliffy zone. That's a very tall challenge. If we get to day seven, eight, we might start rethinking it, but yeah, we're planning plenty of time. Okay. So I guess we'll get into you as an engineer. So, um, to me, to bring a product to the market, first off, you gotta be, you gotta have a great idea that solves problems. We already know that, but then like, maybe you created the best mousetrap ever, Dude, you need to find where to make it and you need money to proto it and you need time to test it. Please, as much detail, take me through how you invent stuff. Sure, man. Um, it's a very convoluted process. I'm sure we could talk for hours on it, but I'll try and boil it down to some of the essential high points. So um, starting from concept of an idea, I mean, I've always kind of been a guy who's like to tinker with stuff, especially my gear, modify and stuff. I'm I'm one of those lightweight guys too. I'm trying to cut stuff off everything, anything that's not necessary, not to some crazy degree, but I love to have lightweight things and tinker with them. So that's kind of always led to my hunting gear. I always tinker with my ski gear, you know, whatever else, whatever activities I was into at the time throughout my life, I mess with stuff. So when it came to hunting, um, I will never forget growing up hunting. I would always hunt with my dad, my uncle, we would go moose hunting and we would do spot and stock moose hunting early season, right when the season opened in early September before the rut and you can kind of call them in. And we were so optics heavy. Um, we were always glassing and they would always outspot me and it pissed me off. It pissed me <laughs> off so bad that they would always outspot. Me. And that's just years of experience. But I was always trying to think of little ways that I could be more stable with my optics, other things. And so, you know, kind of fast forwarding quite a few years to just, you know, like four years ago, I started working on my first product, the Bino clamp and glassing off a tripod, not a new thing. A lot of people have been doing that for a long time, yeah. but I just was not a fan of these multi-part binocular attachment systems, you know, you have to have that post that you mount in your tripod and then the stud. So I think the beginning of any good invention is finding a problem to solve. And to me was, I want to make, as you said, kind of a better mousetrap, not making anything new as far as a binocular attachment. But when it started with that bino clamp, I was like, what do you really need? You need an Arca Swiss dovetail on your binos. So if I was, if I was really smart and really wanted to do this, I'd start my own optics company and put an Arca Swiss dovetail right on the bottom of my binos in the mold from the factory. But second to that, um, just going down to the simplest, most possible thing with that bino clamp, I started 3D printing them myself at home. Should you, wait, time out. Should you trademark that thing you just said right now, stop what we're doing 
and then go sell that patent to Vortex or Leupold or Swarovski. Wouldn't be the worst uh, idea ever. Honestly, you might want to do that. I think you just nailed it on the park because uh, it doesn't. It's not a deterrent for your bino to fit in your bino rig. It doesn't mess with how you hold the binos, and then it's just like it integrates. So you better go trademark that, man. Yeah. Well, then you better edit that out. <laughs> Cut. Yeah. No. Um. But yeah, kind of jump back into it. So I, I started with just 3D printing prototypes at my house, trying them out for like a season. That's all I did is I would like give them to my dad, give them to my hunting buddies, use one myself. And just really seeing how something actually worked in person and trying it out. I don't know. Anybody can do that, right? I don't know how many hobby 3D printers there are around. I'm not telling everybody that's the way to prototype your product, but that's something I had experience with from my engineering jobs before was doing the 3D modeling and doing the prototype. And I mean, from there, I was like, hey, man, I think I actually have something. I started sharing it with a few people and they're like, yeah, you have something like we would love to sell that product. Um, First batch, I bought a bino clamps. It's like a huge risk to me. I was like all scared. I bought like a few hundred of them and I sold them in a few months. And all of a sudden I was cash flowing like that fast. And then from there I ordered like a thousand. Wait a sec. How did you sell them, dude? Did you do anything um, like e-commerce or was it all word of mouth? Yeah. So first thing was I built a website. Um, I was like, well, if I don't have a website, I don't have a way to sell these. There's no way I can do anything from that. And then I immediately kind of started going out to some of the smaller retailers. So I think one of the first people who ever picked me up was Barney Sports Delay up in Alaska. I actually used to work there as a kid, uh, not as a kid in high school, I guess. Uh, It's a small, like primarily sheep hunting store, mountain hunters in Anchorage area. So they picked me up, started telling some people who hunt in Alaska about it. Um, Got into SNS archery with Rob and Steve over there. As soon as that happened and they put a video on YouTube, all of a sudden things went really good when somebody like that's willing to believe in you. those things are super helpful. Man, that's so cool. What year was this when you came out with that? Um, so I started prototyping in like 2019. I think it was like mid to late 2020. I don't have exact dates in my head here, but yeah, been a few years. Nothing, nothing super long, but that's crazy. Cause like I'm literally a month ago, I think you reached out to send it to maybe Tyler or whatever for the gear channel. But as soon as I opened up the box, I freaking stole it. And I said, <laughs> uh, I'm going to do this review. And I feel bad, so I might have to talk to you about getting more. But uh, I stole, I stole it, I stole it. And uh, yeah, no, I think he might have had a bino clamp. It was either the bino clamp or the Garmin mount last year. I think yeah. somehow one got into his hands, and it showed up in one of your videos of like new gear for 2022 or whatever. I can't remember exactly, but glad I got you guys some more gear out. And as soon as I put that sucker on, I took it scouting uh, on a test out video. I think he even emailed me and was like, "Hey, what's the deal?" And I'm like, uh, "I'm going to Montana." to do some scouting and, um, it made the video, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and I gave you a plug just and uh, a shameless plug just cause I thought like it was like literally next level. And, um, so what, what, what came next after the bino clamp? Was it the attachment for the sat comms or was it the tri like the tripod honestly is unbelievably gold. We're going to get into that, but like, what is your order of SKUs? and how did they come up to be? Yeah, totally. So bino clamp was the first one. I came out with four sizes, size one, two, three, and four. That fit like 90% of the binoculars on the market. Um, after that, people with EL ranges, the Swarovski EL range, they're like, hey, man, your bino clamp doesn't fit this. And I was like, okay, let me make one for you guys. Came out with an EL range bino clamp, worked through that, and I released that. Would that have been early last year? No, late, late 2021, early 2022, came out with that EL range. Then I came out with a size zero for all the people running like 10 by 32 binos that wanted one. A lot of the birder community and stuff. I had a lot, enough people reach out. There's like, okay, this is worth my time to make. So I had those six sizes of bino clamps. Then again, I'm just kind of like, I hate, I hate silly things when I'm in the back country that cause me problems. And I have a, one of those Garmin inReach minis or I had an inReach messenger at the time, the bigger one. And they come with that carabiner clip. You just clip them on your backpack, right? And everybody does it. Every YouTube video out there, everybody looks silly with their Garmin just swinging around like crazy whacking you know their backpack yeah. and their bino harness just- i put mine in the bottom of my pack now just because yeah i don't like that dangling thing yeah it drove me nuts so i would do the same thing but then if you if you're using it for tracking and other things it's really nice to have it handy and especially guys running uh running dogs with like the garmin alphas and astros things like that so i was like dude why doesn't that just mount right on your shoulder strap so just started modeling some stuff up printing some prototypes and soon enough i had that product and released it, and that's been one of my best sellers ever since Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is brought to you by Matthews Incorporated, Vortex Optics, Onyx Hunt, Peaks Equipment, Kufaru International, MagView, Wilderness Athlete, Buck Knives, Crispy Hunting, Stealth Cam, Marsupial, Born Primitive, Baku, Black Ovis, and Hard Work. Back to the podcast. Yeah, and I w- I'm still bummed out because I, I have a Garmin Mini, but not the Mini 2, and I don't, I bought it so long ago that I don't remember if it came with what I needed or didn't, but like basically all I have is the carabiner and the Allen. I don't have the actual OEM spine adapter that would slide in and I'm like, son of, and so I went to your website to buy it and you don't, you have to go through Garmin, correct? Yep. I would love to become like a Garmin retailer and sell those direct on my site and I would definitely want to do that at some point. But yeah, what you're talking about, Dan, just to explain to everybody who doesn't know is like on 95% of Garmin devices, all of them, except for the inReach mini and the messenger have like that spine on the back. So all of their attachments can click right in. Um, but then on the mini and the messenger, they took that off. I think just probably to shave weight, uh, which I think was a mistake. Cause then none of the accessories are compatible, but you can get this little spine adapter from Garmin. It's like 15 bucks. And then it puts that spine on and then you can click it into place on any of these, um, accessories and including like our Garmin device backpack mount. I'm like writing this down cause I meant to order that a week ago. And so, okay. Uh, at what basically guys, what this will allow me to do. And I think most people run minis now, honestly. Um, although Tyler has the big Explorer one and I, I don't see why I would go with the mini, but, um, I want access to comms on a left or right shoulder. Think about it. If I freaking break my leg and fall down, I hunt solo and I'm hunting a solo more than ever this year. And I break shit and I'm like yard selling down a mountain. What if I can't get into my backpack or I'm paralyzed and I need to get comms out like SOS. If it's attached to my bina or to my strap of my backpack, I can, I don't know. I just think it's like a, a no brainer to have it there versus right now it's buried in the bottom of my backpack. You know what I'm saying? So Better not, that, than not having it, having it at the bottom of your pack, but having it accessible yes. is definitely good. Very like one in a million chance that you're really going to have to use that like instantly yeah. right next to you, but it's good to have. Yeah. Check boxes. People depend on me. I, that's the bottom line. There's people that depend on me. So there's that. And then what did you do? Yep. So that Garmin mount was the next one. Um, then the one after that was our carbon fiber handle for the, I never know how to say it, Sire VA5, super popular video head guys are using for glassing um so like one of the number one most used fluid heads on tripods and they're just super heavy they're like 16 ounces they're a pound for the head and the handle alone weighs two ounces so it's like an eighth of the weight for a handle i was like that's silly so i uh just kind of messing around the garage found a carbon fiber tube that fit perfectly and decided to come out with a carbon fiber handle it drops the weight from oh sorry i think it's the handle's 2.6 ounces and i bring it down to 0.5 ounces so right there an eighth of a pound shaved off of the head no loss in functionality so I started selling those and started selling a ton of those carbon fiber handles too. And kind of adding these products in just started growing the lineup and more people were visiting the website, more people were talking about it. And those are when I had like those three products, some of the brand awareness kind of started coming alive a little bit more. Love it. Yeah. That's, and then that's yeah. awesome. And then next after that, I actually had a, a good, a good friend of mine now approach me with a product idea and they're like, Hey, we don't quite know where to go with this. And we see that you figured out how to kind of take these ideas and turn them into a marketable product. And they approached me and we ended up with a, a royalty deal on uh, something called the stable Trek. I don't know if I got one of those at you to test out yet, but you did. So they had kind of a rough idea of, of, Hey, we want to be able to like glass off of our trekking pole when we're not bringing a tripod. Cause if you're not bringing a spotting scope, bringing a tripod can be a little bit of a, uh, a luxury item to actually pack around, you know, a couple 100%. of pounds with a tripod. So they wanted to turn their trekking pole into a monopod for glassing off of. I took the design. I tweaked it with prototypes for maybe like six months. We went back and forth on it, settled on a design we liked and started selling those. And that's been another really big seller because it lets you, 
when you don't have a tripod, still glassing with stability is is huge. Being able to rest your binos on something. And what this does is it uh, you flip over your trekking pole, you put it handle down, then you attach the stable trek to the tip of the pole. It'll attach to any trekking pole out there. And then you can thread that into the bottom of any bino adapter. It works really well with the bino clamp. Got the quarter 20 threads, kind of industry standard for attaching quick release plates, everything else. And then you have a little miniature ball head on the stable trek and you articulates the binos around. And it's not as good of a tripod, but it's like 85, 90% as stable for when you're uh, just using binoculars off of. Mm -hmm. I tell you, the that part was overlooked like when I saw it and then Tyler figured it out real quick and put it on there. It's in the video. I don't know when it's go Tyler's editing it, but um, yeah, that's pretty handy. I've always used trekkers to glass off, honestly, and I just take the handle and put right here and that's good. But I think for like fine tooth combing country, that's probably a, there's a better way. Uh, what do you charge for that little attachment? It's a pretty cool little doodad. Those are, those are 45 bucks and they weigh like yeah. two and a half ounces. So it's pretty cheap little thing to try out. And like, for example, my dad and I were going this goat hunt. He's going to carry a tripod on the spotting scope and I'm going to take a stable trek. And then we're both going to be able to stabilize our binos and we'll switch back and forth. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. So you've done all these things. Um, is the tripod the next thing you did? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think tripod was next after. Oh, a couple spotting scope mounts. I didn't talk about those yet. So the Koa 553, really popular micro spotter. Weighs yeah. like 30 ounces or something like that. The only problem with all these micro spotters is these companies and all their wisdom are like, you know, if we're going to shave weight, we're going to take off the rotating collar. So you can't, if you have an angled spotting scope without a rotating collar, it's kind of pointless in my opinion. 100%. Yeah, at least the way I use an angled spotter is when I'm peeking over a ridge or looking at funny angles. On an angled spotter, you kind of can't get behind the lens if you're at steep uphill or downhill angles. So having that rotating collar, the absence of the rotating collar was just a huge negative to me. And I had a Koa 553 I was using on a sheep hunt. So I just made up, designed up this little ring that attaches around it. And then it allows you to rotate the Koa 553. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the next product. That was actually just last year. I made one for myself for my hunt. I liked it. So I started selling it. Um, and really I wouldn't have cared if I sold none of them. I just wanted that more than anything on that little Koa scope. And then I just came out with one for the Vortex Razor 50 millimeter as well. Um, cause it also does have that rotating collar. Yeah. And if I love angled spotters, I don't do straights. Uh, I have one straight and I, it, it's an 85 mil huge. I never use it. Um, and I love rotating up at crazy angles. Like you said, just depending on terrain, topography, what you're looking at, that's huge, man. Um, and then before we get to your tripod, let's talk about the name of your company. Is it Aziac? Yeah, Aziac Equipment. Where'd you come up with that? <laughs> man, good question. Uh, one of the biggest hiccups when I was starting the company is like, dude, what do I name it? What do I do for a logo? I, I had no ideas. Um, I just started looking over Alaska place names. It's what I love. I love being there and found an Island called Asiac. It's like pretty sick name. It's memorable and I liked it. So just went with it. Per uh, it's absolutely perfect. And it makes sense with your, basically your history and your family ancestry. And like, that's awesome. So then let's talk about this tripod, man, because this is what I'm running this year and I'm so excited about it. Yeah. So I've, I've had, man, I don't even know 20 tripods over the last three years. And I keep trying to find the right one for years. I was like, man, I'm just going to take the leg sections off this one. I'm going to cut these legs shorter. I'm going to get rid of this center column. I'm going to change that. So I would like modify those tripods. I was like, man, this just makes sense. If, if I made my own at this point, it, it's just the next logical product when I'm making all these optics accessories. So over a year ago, I started working on one, um, working with some manufacturers overseas and seeing like what their capabilities were and stuff. And I mean, a lot of people are probably going to ask, all my products are made in the USA except this tripod. I'm very upfront about that. The tripod is made over in China. Um, that's I'm because out. I want it to actually- Screw you. I'm just joking. I'm joking. I'm like, I, I do I do get frustrated with, it's, I, I want to tackle this head on right now. So I want to pause and just get into this real quick. So totally. like, dude, here's the deal. Yeah, I want to buy stuff in America for sure. But I also find it extremely hypocritical to draw a line in the sand on one thing and then not look, go through an entire audit of your household. Yeah. Well, I can get, I can order this stuff off Amazon for my household needs. Dude, where's that shit made? Well, I mean, so I feel like if you're going to take that stance and some people are going to disagree with me and guys, that's okay to disagree, but like 100%. I'm a little conflicted with like drawing a line in the sand being like, 
If it's not made in America, I'm not going to buy it. So, but I don't like buying stuff from overseas either, but like born primitive is all my hunting clothing. You know, sure. I'd love to run, um, origin, right? Origin is made in the States. Kip folks, Cam Haynes, Jocko Willink. I've tried this stuff. I have, I have a whole set. I've tried it out. It's just tough to, I don't know. Think some things need to change globally for us to be able to be a, you know, get back into that manufacturing game. But here's the deal. And this is like my take. I want your take right now. If I hunt with an outfitter or if I go to a ranch and I pay $25,000 to hunt elk, you shouldn't hate on me. But you know what my job to is, is if I post a kill pick of a 350 bull, I'm going to put in the caption, I hunted at this ranch with this outfitter and I'm not going to try to make it look like this was some public land, self-guided backcountry deal. I'm just going to be transparent. I've killed a really big whitetail in Texas, high fence ranch. I posted it and I was like, this was my first time doing a high fence. Never thought I would. It's actually a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought they were going to come eat corn out of my hand. It wasn't like that. It took me six days out of seven to get this particular buck that I was green lit to shoot killed, but it was high fence. And I want you to know that. And I did that in the YouTube video as well. So transparency to me is king. And if people don't want to buy your tripod because it's made overseas, I respect that a hundred percent. As long as you, the manufacturer, are upfront as to where. Like, don't tell me that it was assembled in the United States and all your parts are from overseas. Like, that's bullshit. Just tell us where it's from and then we'll make our decision. What's your take? Yeah. Um, when it comes down to it, all my other products, I was able to find a manufacturer in the United States who I was still able to retail it at a price point that I would make some money to make it sustainable, but that um, that price point would be achievable for everybody else. Like the Bino Clamp's 37 bucks. That's achievable for everybody. If I wanted to make the tripods in the US, the long and short of it on the economics is it would be over $1,000. I don't think that's a price point that a lot of people are going to be willing to pay and it wouldn't be sustainable for me. Now, that's not to say that that might not be a route that I go in the future, but to make products and to still put my design insight into them. And I still think it a very high quality product because these manufacturers of tripods that I'm working with have so much experience making them. I'm still able to deliver a quality product. Yes, it's not made in the US. It still has the quality that's gone into it from a company like mine that I, I put a lot of pride into that quality, but at a price point that people are gonna be able to afford it. Because if I started marketing this tripod at a thousand plus dollars, it's not even going to be something that people can achieve and actually get to take out hunting. And I'm with you on the, the hypocritical side of it too. It's like, where are both of the microphones, both of the computers, both of the webcams we're both talking on right now from all this stuff's made in China. Um, and we've accepted that role of it. So it's, it's a toss up, man. I got nothing for respect for people that want to do just, just made in the United States stuff, hundred percent. And I try and do that with whatever products I can as much as possible. And I think people will respect that as long as you're transparent, just like in hunting, stay transparent. I'm not trying to hide it, man. I mean, those, those are made overseas. So looking at your tripod, what is the total weight? So on the tripod itself without a head, it's 20.4 ounces with the long center column. So that's one and a quarter pounds. If you run it with the short center column, it drops down to 18.9 ounces, which is, um, how I personally run it, I run without a center column so then I can shoot off of it like a bipod as well because you can set it real real low to the ground. Um, when I got, when I opened it up, there was a piece in the bottom that was like almost a duplicate. What is that? Yeah, that's the short center column there. So okay. That's, that's the one you can, you can unscrew the um, hook on the bottom of that main center column, untighten it, pull that center column out and swap it. And it basically turns it into a tripod with no center column. So I wanted to be able to have a tripod that could do both of those modes. Um, you can still get 35 inch height out of it in the short mode, which is plenty tall for sitting and glassing. And I yes. wanted to make sure that even with that short center column, it's tall enough that you can run it that way. Then you can get 10 more inches up to 45 inches when you have that long center column in. And that's enough for guys when you're, the reason I went with that height is if you're sitting in a chair, which a lot of us, when we're hunting out of a truck or whatever else, we're going to sit in a chair and glass 45 inches is enough to sit in a chair and still get it at eye level with the height of the ball head and your binos on it. It's, it's right there. There's no extra height in it, but I'm, I'm six foot two. I gave it a couple extra inches for guys who are super tall. Um, and it seems to work pretty well right at those two heights. And my buddy Tyler thanks you, you know, honestly, because we were doing in that shootout, we were testing, um, black Ovis branded carbon, which is really nice. And, but it's just, 
it lacks the height, even with that center column all the way up for a guy who like Tyler, who's six, two, he's like, I can't sit down in glass. And I was like, yeah, that sucks. I can, I'm five, seven. I, I clear it, but I, I, that's the something that you got to consider. And then, so you take the center column out when you want to use it as a shooting stick, basically. So I never run the long center column personal personal choice. So I wow. always, when I'm adjusting, I just take the time and I adjust the leg angles. I've just kind of gotten used to that because I don't want to carry around two center columns. I know that most people will not run it that way. It's just something I've gotten used to. And it shaves just a couple more ounces. I mean, people don't think of it a whole lot. Two ounces is an eighth of a pound. You do that on a few things in your kit and you're saving a pound. So it's just another one of those little, little ways that I save weight and I've learned to not use that functionality. Okay. What are your, what are you calling the part on your tripod where you twist and untwist to extend the legs? Do you have a name for that? I mean, twist locks is kind of industry okay. standard name. Yeah. I effing hate them. Like I'm worried about that is your chink in your armor. Like, um, those eventually will fail in my experience on other bigger brands. Have you had any issues with yours failing? I have not had any issues, but that is because I maintain them too. Yeah. I maintain them too. It's a lot of guys are pretty abusive with those. And so just a couple tips for people using them always store them in the locked position. So don't just unlock the legs, close them shut and throw it in your pack tighten those back up. You're going to keep anything from rattling loose. You're going to keep from losing parts. There's some plastic shims in there that actually is what tightens down every season. Open up your tripod, clean off the shims, get any dirt, grime, junk, all that stuff out of there and put them back in. And you're going to get way longer use out of a tripod. Love it. And then, um, the ball head that you got on there, you know, I love a ball head because I feel like Dude, here's how I hunt and I'm different than most people, but like when I bust out a spotting scope, I have a mag view on top of my, all my optics. Same. I'm like scrambling because there's an opportunity to film an animal and I'm always like spazzing out trying to get everything set up and the ball head allows me to get right on it, clamp it down. It doesn't move. Whereas some with the, the handle ball heads, I've had a lot of fail, like, like, um, frustration when you get a heavy tripod set right on the animal, you tighten it up. And as soon as you take pressure off, it dips Mm -hmm. and the animal is out of frame and you're like, and then the animal's gone. Like I've literally missed a lot of good opportunities just because of that. This definitely solves that issue, uh, which is, it's not immune to that, but it does have pretty good lockup. Yeah. It has very good lockup because I got to like actually glass animals and it was like, I was on them quick and I've been using the mag view to film some archery shots really long distance. And, um, I've been able to get right on target and, and it's been, it's been cool to, to see that evolution. I'm going to, I'm going to keep the center in because, because you have the Arca Swiss, I can bring a DSLR and film a little bit of stuff in the backcountry and get the, and get the height that I need. That's the only reason. Otherwise I would recommend everybody else take the center out as well. You're going to save a few ounces. And part of that I'll say there's you're, you're an exclusive bow hunter at this point. If I got that right, like you're only mm-hmm. bow hunting, no rifle. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's a key difference too. If I was bow hunting, I'm going to have that center column in because with that short center column, it just allows me to use that tripod as a bipod and get really close to the ground. Otherwise, I'm totally with you. I think leaving that long center column in is probably the answer for like 90% of people, just to be honest. Capital, money. It takes money to buy protos. You've done some 3D printing. Um, Did you have, are you doing this? Are you bootstrapping this or are you getting help from somebody else? Yeah, self-funded, man. Attaboy. Put my own money, my own time into it, so. What's it like? How does it feel to basically bet on yourself and start getting some small wins? Um, it'd probably be better to ask my wife. It was right before we had our first kid that I started all this, (laughs) um, quite a bit of pressure, but I think betting on yourself is the best way to go. I've, I've always been, I've had a few different side hustles, side hobbies. This is my first real official, you know, 100% business with a storefront type of thing or not a storefront, but you know, a website. So it's, it's a lot of pressure, but I've, I don't know. It's been the best thing that I've ever chosen to do too. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, do you think that, uh, for you going online and going direct to consumer, right. is kind of a good savvy way to go. You, you can make the most margin, but then you got these heavy hitters. Like you mentioned, go hunt and you mentioned black Ovis, which is a even heavier hitter. The numbers don't lie. They do a lot of business. How do you protect like in the world of retail and MSRP and map pricing, like how are you going to do it, man? Like, is it going to cost you more to buy directly from you? 
Uh, how are you going to enforce map on these retailers like SNS archery? Like, do you, do you have time to monitor that? Like, how are you going to protect the, your dealers? Yeah. Great question, man. So, um, you mentioned direct to consumer. I think if you have a, a big name, I mean, I think the one we all know most is Kuyu. If you have a big name, like, um, when you start, you can make that work. That was never my plan from the beginning at all. Um, to be like solely direct to consumer. So people can absolutely go to my website and buy. I have the same real t retail price as all the retailers. Um, there is map pricing. And right now what I do is anytime that a dealer wants to do a sale, I request that they ask basically permission first, kind of have some set aside guidelines for that that I have with them. What that allows me to do is if one retailer wants to say, hey, we want to do 25% off for Labor Day weekend, it gives me the opportunity to go to my other retailers and be like, hey, just want to let you guys know here's an opportunity. So everybody can kind of do equal sales across the board as much as possible. That's kind of the way I've run it so far. I still have a lot to learn in this department. I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert, but generally I try and keep those sales pretty equitable across all the dealers so that they each can get their slice of the pie. Okay. That's cool. Uh, have you had a big box store hit you up yet? Like a Cabela's, a Bass Pro, a Sportsman's, a Shields, whatever. Actually the Shields, uh, Shields stores, every store has the bino clamp right now. So outstanding. Yep. So that was a pretty good one. Uh, nothing sportsman, Cabela's, anything like that. Uh, haven't even entertained if that's something I'd be interested. In. I'm not sure yet. So what's the most binos attachments that you've purchased at once, you know, or made or paid to get ordered? Probably a couple thousand in one batch. Okay. Is there a significant difference if you did 10,000? Um, there's not a huge difference just with the technologies that I'm using. It's kind of like I've paid most of the upfront costs at this point. Nice work. Yeah. I got your molds or whatever. Uh, what about your tripod? How many did you get in this last batch that you ordered? Yep. So right now I've got, let me think about a thousand of them. So starting to move those things along. That was a big investment, big risk, but I mean, not a big risk. I believe in myself, but still a lot of money to invest in that. Can you get your price point down lower for you if you bought 5,000? Maybe a little bit. Mm. Yeah. I have, I haven't even entertained that cause I don't have that type of cash flow. <laughs> you, well, I may not either, but like, I'm like thinking from an investment standpoint, I'm, I'm pretty sold. I'm like, after this part, I'm not editing this out by the way. I'm very transparent. Like I go check, you're going to go check for Asiac stock. Yeah. I'm not kidding. I like, I like do, I love that. I, I'm not a real estate guy. I'm not a stocks guy. I mean, I have stuff in place, but I'm like 42 and I'm not very good at business. You know what I'm good at? I'm good at hustling and I'm good at media. That's it. Uh, and I'm good at working out and I'm okay at shooting a bow, but I'm really good at trying hard. And, uh, so I love like the, my buddy in Washington has this company called wild meat gear and he's, he's an engineer and he's making a few things that are, he's coming along. He needs a couple more ideas, but he's got this stamp device that he uses to label your meat. And it's like got all the different species, the dates. Nice. It's a good way to organize. So like a Sharpie everything. Yeah. And my Sharpie handwriting gets real terrible towards the end of a butchering session. I'm all, I'm abbreviations by the end, man. Yeah. And so my wife loves it. Cause like everything's really well labeled and, and then he made the, uh, he just came out with basically like an ice fishing pop-up tent with a cool bot cooler that he made modifications and designed some stuff to where you can basically like put away your, it's a mobile meat locker that you can assemble in your garage, keep your meat aging and then put it away or even split it with a buddy. And it's, I think it's a thousand bucks or 1100 bucks. And I'm like, yeah. So what I did in the beginning is I was like, Hey man, I'm going to promote you, but I want a percentage of your company, not a big one, like a teeny tiny. And he, he was like, no brainer. And so I've promoted him. I've never got a dividend. I don't even check. I just like being a part of people's like little bet on themselves projects. And so I'm, that's my plan going forward is to team up with guys like you or whatever, and just help them because I think it's so cool. And I'm not an engineer, man. Like if I was, I'd be out there making cool archery stuff. Cause I have ideas in my head of how to make archery stuff better. Cause that's kind of my world, but it's a patent heavy world and a lot of suing. And I'm like, I don't have time for that, but I think it's cool what you're doing. I do think your tripod is going to be, it's going to be tough to compete against that tripod. And I'm kind of a snob on tripods. And for me to put that in my pack yesterday, when I was packing for my first hunt, I mean, need I say more? Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And I, I'm not, I'm a really bad marketer. I'll just put that up front. Um, if I was a really good marketer, I might go out and start telling people this is the end all be all tripod. It's the best for everything. It's the only tripod you need. 
but I'm just way too honest to say stuff like that. This tripod is, I think people miss way too much with each piece of gear in their pack. And and you really need to ask yourself, what are you using it for? What is it in its intended purpose? Because if you're not asking yourself what it's designed to do, how do you know if it's good for that or not? And I designed this tripod for the type of hunts that I like to do light and fast adventures into the Alpine. When I'm glassing off a tripod with my spotting scope, I'm normally in windy environments. I'm laying prone on the ground, looking through my spotting scope. Why do I need a three pound tripod if I'm three inches off the ground? I I just don't need that. And sitting height and lower, I don't need to be standing using my glass. I take a four or five pound tripod when I hunt out of the truck, hundred percent all day. But when I'm backpacking, there's just no point in all that extra weight. And that's what it was made for. Man, have you ever seen um, peak design tripods? Kind of like more uh, content. Cr- okay, I have two of them. They're aluminum. They do sell a carbon version. Their aluminum ones are pricey. I want to say they're 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 over three hundred dollars. So for me to have two is kind of painful. But um, can you make a big brother tripod to the one you've already done that has that similar specs as the peak design and beat them in price? I feel like. I would help you market that if you could make that, man, because those aluminum ones are pretty heavy. Without without saying too much, there's more stuff in the works already. boy. I'm sure you know. I mean, I'm not some guy to try and rush stuff to market too fast. I mean, there's a timeline for everything. I'm not going to go take two years, three years to do something unless I really need it. But more stuff's in the works for next year already. And we'll, we'll see if it's released next year. But yeah, working on more stuff. Yeah, uh, super frustrating to see like... I know one company, I'm not going to say their name, not going to throw them under the bus, but like they sent me up their product and I, and then I met with them in person, kind of went over initial impressions and they're like, yeah, we're, and their price point was insane. Like it was probably at the time, the most expensive archery accessory in its category. And it looked, the aesthetics were sick. It looked great. Uh, I'm not going to say too much more because people are going to figure out what I'm talking about. But I was like, guys, you can't bring this to market. Like it has like, no one's hunted with it yet. Like it should be in the field for an entire season, you need to pick out 30 dudes, send it to them, tell them to beat the shit out of it, and maybe even th- give them some money or whatever to get their for their time and for them to risk the biscuit with your said prototype. But they were too leveraged to get it to market to where they had to do pre-sales and they never got a chance to R&D it. And I feel like that is just, that's not going to cut it in today's world. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a timeline for everything, right? You can't go over leverage yourself forever in R&D. And at some point you have to bet on yourself and your own experience and how you know how something's manufactured, how you know your testing's gone. I'm not saying that you should exclusively do that yourself. That's asking for trouble if you don't have other people you trust testing out gear to. But yeah, I think I think a season is a, a pretty minimum requirement. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. That's cool, man. Um, So what is the name of your website? Yeah, so aziacequipment.com. That's A-Z-I-A-K and then equipment.com. Same on Instagram. I'm not very good on Instagram. It's just me doing it, but you can go check it out. What uh, is the name of your YouTube channel that you have? (laughs) YouTube channel with my all 10 subscribers, I think. Aziac Equipment, same thing there. So Yeah, you need to put some energy into that, man. Honestly, like... Right now, to be honest, and I mean, this is just real transparency with people, like, it's just me. I am the company right now. I'm the shipping department, marketing, design, Mm -hmm. manufacturing, packaging, everything. And it's funny, you know, at the beginning where my energy went was marketing because I wasn't doing many sales. And now I'm just trying to keep up with packaging and shipping and inventory and orders. Like I haven't even worked on new products, you know, in I don't know, a month here as the season's gotten busier. So it's, yeah, time, time to expand, I think here, hopefully. Yeah, honestly, I'm always trying to um, figure out a way to hire the right person. And I've been through some, I've on, I've done a lot of contract work with people for me. Had a really good uh, YouTube guy for two and a half years. He eventually just wanted to go on his own. And then I hired another guy and he made it a month. And then he did not like the pace I run at. And then my good friend, Jake, he had to be a grown up and get a welding job. And so I'm still looking for someone who's not, I've put it on this podcast and YouTube. Hey, I need help with production. And I've gotten hundreds of emails and messages. Like I would love to help out with elk shape. I ha- I don't really know how to use a camera, but I'm coachable. It's like, no, 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 no. 
I'm at a stage in the game and I'm not, this is not a pretentious Dan. This is an honest, transparent Dan. I need a professional photog slash videog slash editor. I need you to know more than me about that stuff Mm -hmm. and challenge me and help me grow in that department. I need to be in front of a camera. I need to be way less behind a camera or behind an editing screen. I need someone to help me make content, schedule content. You know what I'm good at? I'm good at relationships in the industry. I need to be on the phone talking to the people that I work with, brainstorming, thinking about products and thinking about business. Just like you it was a long segue, but I'm going to hear your thoughts. You need to not be packaging. You need to not be shipping or handling customer concerns, customer care. You need to be inventing shit because of God given talents that God put in your brain there. Homeboy, you need to hire. <laughs> Thanks, man. And I, I agree with what you're saying. I also, I never want to be too good to package products, ship things, do customer service emails. I, I, one of my, one of my favorite parts about this job, other than the design side is just doing customer service. Like I I do love talking to people. I love taking care of them. I love hearing, Hey, what do you not like about the product? Sweet man, money back. Let's do it. Just send it back to me. You know, let's get you taken care of. Tell me what you didn't like. Maybe in the future we'll rev stuff. So I never want to be too good for that stuff for sure. That's probably not what I mean. Like too good. I'll allow you to, you can do customer service on Fridays from eight to 12. As long as Monday through Thursday, you're in the lab designing. Cause that's like, that's, what's going to blow your company up is the new, is your brain and your ideas and all that cool stuff that you're doing, man. Um, I appreciate that, man. And that's definitely what I want to spend my time doing is doing more product development, more testing, yeah. spending my heavy hours doing that hundred percent with you on that stuff. And yeah, I, I don't have any of these big aspirations to go blow the company up or get huge. Mm-hmm. If, if I can make a, an okay salary and I can keep doing what I love and putting good mm-hmm. gear in people's hands, I'll be stoked. That's what I like doing. I love hearing that, love that I'm, I made something that made somebody have, I won't go as far as to say more successful hunt, but maybe, but more enjoyable, easier, better to use gear. That's That makes me happy. Well, with that attitude alone, you're going to crush it, man, because you're genuine, dude. You're real. And I wanted to share your story. I just had a suspicion that you were a grinder. You were a guy who was betting on himself. And, and man, I love any podcast that we can do where it inspires people to take some risks and go for it. You only live once. It's awesome. I just want, and I wanted to like help promote you. Honestly, no strings attached. I really like your stuff, man. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Super appreciate it. Well guys, it's right out. He's out of Washington. He's headed to Alaska. He's going to go get ready for his mountain goat hunt. And dude, I'm going to give you my phone number when I'm done hitting record here. And I want you to text me the link so I can get that Garmin component for my mini two. For sure. And then I want you to text me a picture of you safely making out of the mountains with a double with your dad, which is priceless. God bless you, dude. Thank you for your time. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Guys, separations in the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Rydell Reinbold, Asiac, thanks for coming on the pod. You're a stud. I can't wait to see you next time you come through. We're going to definitely connect up. I want to make some more content for you. I believe in your side hustle. I think that you're awesome, man, and best of luck, guys. Thanks for listening. Hopefully that inspired you, motivated you. You learned something, and you're interested in checking out his gear because, honestly, it's legitimate. Appreciate y'all's support. Elk season is here. Grind it out and leave it all out there so when you come home you can lick your wounds for a year and figure out how you can even do better next year appreciate guys separations in the preparation we'll catch you on the next one at the end of every podcast i'm going to rattle off some discount codes if you're in the market to save some loot support the cast here we go vortex optics go to eurooptic.com discount code elk 10 takes 10 percent off vortex wear 20 percent off any of their apparel Discount code is ElkShape. On X Elite Membership, discount code ElkShape, 20% off. Become an Elite Member. It's a no-brainer. Peaks Equip, we're talking gators, tripods, headlamps, shelters, and more to come. Discount code ElkShape, 10% off. MagView, digiscoping, discount code ElkShape, 10% off the S1B1 Made in America Lifetime Warranty. Wilderness Athlete, discount code is ElkShape2023, 20% off. Look up the ElkShape stacks. Stealth Cam, 20% off non-cellular. The discount code is ElkShape20. And 10% off cellular. Get the deceptor. Discount code ElkShape10. Back your e-bike, discount code ElkShape, $300 off. Blackovis.com, anything under the sun, 
Elk Shape is 10% off plus free shipping. Sheep Feet, 10% off discount code Elk Shape. Fatty Meat Sticks, 10% off discount code Elk Hunter, all one word. Crossover Symmetry, 20% off. Bulletproof Your Shoulders, discount code Elk Shape. And finally, Canvas Cutter, it's what I use. I spend 30 nights a year in. Discount code Elk Shape takes 10% off. You guys have a great rest of your week. We'll catch you next week. Take care.